And we're dealing with the person of the gospel. And this has become one of my new sayings. If you take the person away, you do not have a gospel. You would have a teaching. And many believers live in a teaching. They came to a person. You know, if, if you're born again, you've come to a person, you've actually encountered the person. In fact, if you're born again, the person is in you. Christ is in you. But much of the time when we look at the word, the Bible, we look at it as a teaching. And Paul's epistles, and I believe this with my heart, they were written out of the encounter he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that encounter wasn't one time, you know, when Paul was on the, what was it, Damascus Road. It wasn't a one-time encounter. It was the ongoing encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul walked in all of his days from that encounter. And that's what Christianity should be is an ongoing encounter of the Lord. You and I should be walking and living in an ongoing encounter of the Lord. Not just a set of teachings, but Christ revealed and encountered in our hearts and our minds. And this should be continuous, folks. I mean, I don't want to sound wrong when I make this statement, but I haven't been in the valley in a long time. Jesus is not a valley. You, you know, Jesus said to Nathaniel, hereafter you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And we, my friends, ascend upon Christ. We ascend into the heavens as we comprehend him. Now, that's a place of ascension. And we bring forth that which we have received and share it among one another. We minister to the Lord's body. Sometimes I want to be as bold to say we're ministering to the Lord because we're ministering to his body. And he's one with his body. So... So, and he loves his body. He loves and cherishes his body. Just like he says in the book of Corinthians, 
So we're ministering to the Lord's body, one to another. And I said this to the folks this morning. Jesus said, as recorded in John 13, if you receive him that I have sent, you have received me. And if you have received me, you have received him that sent me. So when we receive one another as the Lord's body, we are receiving the Lord. I mean, what a, what a glorious relationship we really are in with the Lord and with one another. You know, that's why it feels like we're family when we come together and we start cutting up and having a good time. It's because we are family. It's not something we feel like we're family. Well, we're the family of God. We're, we're joint members, one of another, bound up together in Christ. Now, what a relationship we really have with one another. That's, that's quite a relationship. We care one for another. And this attraction we've had with one another hasn't been earthly, hasn't been after the carnal mind, hasn't been after, you know, what football team you like or what, which view you have on such and such. This attraction has been after the Lord. It's, it's been, as the psalmist said, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It's like the precious ointment rolling down from the head upon his beard, down his garments. Because the Spirit of God has unified us in the person of Christ that we have unity with one another. And see, that was never achieved in the natural man. You see that throughout the earth, that the natural man doesn't have any unity. You see what the natural man is. You can flip on the TV, you can hear him talk. And he'll talk. He's got a lot to say, but not the spiritual life of God. And Jesus says, we read this last week and this morning, and you know me, we'll probably read it again. Jesus says in John 10, he says, the thief comes. Not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So we talked about this last week. The thief came. 
Death passed upon all men. Death through sin. So all mankind was in the condition of death. When Jesus came on the scene, that was the condition of man. Man was dead. He did not have the spirit of life. So Christ says, I've come that you might have life and have that life in abundance. So in Hebrews 2, he, the writer Hebrews, comes out of the book of Psalms. And he says, but one in a certain place testified, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Now, what I want you to see there is even in creation, God made that man lower than the angels. That's what one translation says. I believe another translation may say lower than Jehovah. So man was made lower. Okay. That's what Hebrews says. So the first man who was out of the earth, earthy, was made a living soul. The last man, and this, this word man doesn't just mean the individual man. It means the mankind. So the last mankind is made a life-given spirit. How be it? That is not first, which is spiritual. And, and this is what I was talking about last week. Sometimes we try to go to the first man to find what is spiritual. And Paul, who was living in the revelation of Christ, wrote this first man is not spiritual. So if that's true, you could say, well, how far back does that go? Does that mean Adam was not made spiritual at all? Does that mean only after the fall he wasn't spiritual? Well, Paul doesn't say after the fall he wasn't spiritual. <laughs> he says the first man is of the earth, earthy. And God gave him dominion over the earth in the, in the book of Genesis. So in Genesis, Adam was given dominion over the works of 
God's hand, and he gave him dominion over the fowls of the air, over the fish of the sea, and everything that creepeth upon the earth. And again, I, I'm for the correction of the Lord. If the Lord comes in and shows me something different, I'm all for it. But that man's relation to God, I believe, had to be out of an earthly understanding. I, I don't mean he was a bad man, because he was created for an intended purpose. That's what he was created toward. So Adam was created toward a purpose that all mankind was created toward. And that purpose, though, was not realized in that man. So when we go back to that man and we try to search, it, search out and find his purpose, even we look at scriptures like, well, he walked with God in the cool of the day. To me, again, this is to me, that would, that's a picture of God coming to him and leaving him. We don't walk with God in the cool of the day. We walk in God. God lives in us. See, I some time ago in the study of God appearing to Moses and declaring his name Jehovah, the Lord opened my eyes to something there, that he had appeared to Abram as the Almighty God. So he was the El Shaddai, the Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. And you find that in the book of Genesis, his, his attributes being made known. The, you could say the plurality of Elohim, God's attributes, the all-powerful, almighty, omniscient, God. So here he appears to Abram, and he had come to Abram, and he would leave. He would come and go. And I, and I think if we studied that out closely, you know, there could be in maybe large periods of time, probably Brother Jimmy Lewis knows some of the periods of time, in between the appearances of God with Abram and later Abraham. So you have God coming and God leaving, God coming and God leaving. When he comes to Moses and, you know, declares, I am that I am. And he says to Moses, by my name, Jehovah, was I not made known to them? And if you study out the Bible, they call him Jehovah. But he didn't make known the name Jehovah to them. Because as the, in the name of Jehovah, he became a God of covenant. And in that covenant, he dwelled in the midst of them. So he was no longer coming and going. He was now God in the midst. Okay? So he traveled with Israel as a cloud and fire, yeah, in their midst. He wasn't in them, 
but he was in their midst. He was known to Israel. They knew him from that standpoint that God was with them and God did mighty things for them. Mighty things. You go read the scripture, you see mighty miracles, signs, and wonders. The Lord has always been a God of miracles, signs, and wonders. So all of that was pointing toward what we have in Christ. And Paul tells us that, that, they, that all those things, you know, good things, bad things, everything was an example in samples for us. So all these things happened to them as an example or example for us. So it was all speaking of what we were going to receive in Christ. It was all headed toward purpose. Now, where am I going with this? So, so when, when the enemy came in with Adam and Eve, and she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what and Adam fell into sin. Okay. Had Adam already obtained purpose? I would say no. I would say he was created for purpose. And even when Jesus came to save that which was lost, I know he came to save our souls, but he also came to bring into view the purpose of God. The purpose of God. And the Apostle Paul understands this, and he writes in the book of Ephesians that we were chosen in him before the world was. So God chose us in Christ before the world. So in all the creation story, God is looking toward a people being in Christ to be his express image, to be in divine fellowship, to be in a place where God's in them and they are in God. That's what he's looking toward. They're in the creation story. I mean, everything is speaking toward this relationship and reality that we have right now in Jesus Christ. It's all speaking to what we have right now. What has been made real to our souls and our minds as the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed by the Spirit of God. Now, when I take John 1-1 and I lay it down on top of Genesis 1, and I see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and, and so on and so forth there in Genesis 1. Now, take John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word the logos, the mind, the thought, the will, and purpose of God was in the beginning. The same mind, thought, will, and purpose of God was there. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, the mind, thought, will, and purpose came in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so now the mind, thought, will of God had come out of God into the earth in the man Jesus. A man full of grace and truth. Not full of sin and death, but full of grace and truth. 
So that's a, a, a man unlike any man that even in the natural ever walked upon the face of the earth. They even said of Jesus, they said, what kind of man is this that even the waves and the sea obey him? You know, they knew this was some kind of man. With everything going on around them, they were like, I've never seen a man like this. They were astounded at him. Because here, he come out of the volume of the book. It was written of him to do the will of God, to bring forth the purpose of God from the beginning. To bring forth the purpose of God in ever creating man. What is man and what's your mind toward him? And, and, and there in, in Hebrews 2, we see Jesus. That's the mind of God toward man. And until you see Jesus, you won't see the mind and purpose of God toward man. Because in the scene of Jesus, you see the old man is put away. The man of sin and death, he's done away with. And I wish we as Christians could see that man has been put away. And that we as Christians could comprehend the new man who is full of life and peace and minister out of the new man that we are. Yes, that we are. We're a new creature created of God in Christ Jesus, and we should be declaring in the earth that that he's made us in becoming one with himself. Now, that, to me, folks, is, is salvation. So Jesus comes, and he undoes the work of the enemy. He destroys him, Hebrews 2 says. He destroys him that has the power of death, that is the devil, and he delivers them who all their lifetime were subject to the bondage of fear. So he delivers us out of the bondage of fear because perfect love casts out fear. So he casts fear out of the house. <laughs> when he got in your house, fear had to go because life came in. See, if we can hear it, you're not in death. You're in life. He destroyed the works of death. He destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed that. And he subdued the kingdom to himself. That's what he did. So you're not living under the kingdom of Satan. You're living in the kingdom of God's dear son. So everything that is in the kingdom of God's dear son is applicable to you and me. That's what I want us to see. So the son of God was manifested. We read that last week and this morning too. 
He was manifested, second, or first John, I believe, chapter three. I might ought to read that. Little children, first John 3, 7. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, we probably need a understanding adjustment to get a hold of what John is saying here. Because we usually, or I have many times, and I'm sure you have too. I was going to kid around. I'm sure none of you have, but I'm sure you have. Have read that scripture and said, uh-oh. Right? Yeah. So his seed abides. That's a tough scripture to get a hold of. But in John 1, or John's gospel, Jesus spoke of the Jews to the, about those in that day, and it applies to the whole world, that they loved darkness rather than light and would not come into the light. And see, to me, I believe this is the sin, that they wouldn't receive the light. See, if you practice righteousness, what is righteousness? Christ is righteousness. Have we read that in our Bible? Sure we have. We, we grace people have taught that for years, that he's righteousness. So if we've received the Lord Jesus, we are made righteous. He's the righteous one. And now we are righteous by him. So Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, so you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer in the bondage of sin. You're no longer in the bondage of decay. You've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son through the work of Christ, not through your own work, but through the works of Christ. So what did you do to get this? You believed on him that God has sent. What works shall we work? They asked Jesus. He said, believe on him that God has sent. This is the works of God. This is, this is what we do. We believe him. And we desire to know him. And we pass out of death and come into life. So we've looked at that first Adam man who's of the earth earthy, and Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. Now turn with me to 
First Corinthians chapter five, verse 20 says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Let you get there. Now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now, now some people take that what the King James says and what I guess most translations says will as future tense. Well, the actual Greek word means to make alive. So in Christ to make alive, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. All right. Question for you. Do you read in Hebrews that he destroyed him that had the power of death that is the devil? Yes. Could we maybe say he took care of authority and power there? Okay. You could maybe say that. So the authority and power of the devil, the authority and power of Adam has been subdued under his feet. Now, this scripture, I won't tell you I got the full comprehension of it, but I'll throw this at you. Christ, the first fruits, you know, he, he raised from the dead, so he's the first fruit from the dead. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming, and, and the teacher teaching that most of us, if not all of us, set up under is someday when he comes, we'll also be raised from the dead. But where that becomes a problem is when you read Ephesians 2, and Paul says, You've been quick and made alive and seated with him in heavenly places and raised together with him, seated with him, so on and so forth. So, so Paul says one thing, one place, and seemingly something else at the other. Well, let's think of it this way. Those who are Christ at his coming, the word coming is perusia, which is presence. Okay. Then comes the end, the principal end, the, uh, the word end can mean everything's ended, but it can mean then comes the purpose, then comes the aim, then comes what he sought after. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and the Father when he's abolished all rule authority and power. Okay. 
Then comes the aim. Then comes the purpose. So when Christ comes to you, you're raised from the dead. You're raised from Adam, right? Through his presence. You're quickened with him, Paul writes. Raised with him. Seated with him in heavenly places. So, so now you've moved out of the death of Adam into the purpose of God. Now, can you see that? You're no longer where you were because his presence, his coming, his perusia has come to you. Now, he literally did this when he come and disrobed all the authority of the old Testament, brought it to an end, brought the, the old covenant to its end. You know, his perusia come to Israel, but, but I'm talking about the inward perusia, that when he comes to your house, when he dwells within you, he brings you out from under the authority of the flesh, the authority of the enemy, into the kingdom of God. And he delivers you up to the purposes of God. I don't think this is something Jesus has to do. I think this is what he's done. I think what has to be done is you and I have to know this. We have to realize this. We have to experience this through the revealing of Christ in our hearts. That we comprehend that we've come to the divine purpose of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That that's where we're at. We're in the divine purpose of God. That he swallowed up death in victory. Oh, death, where is thy, thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? See, the grave has no victory over you because Christ is your life. You're not, you're not as the old man, dust thou art and dust thou shalt return. The body goes to the dust, but you don't go to the dust. Because you're quickened together with Christ. He's already brought you out of death into life. And honey, I don't believe we're ever going to taste the chilly hand of death because Jesus took death to death. Okay? He that believeth on me shall never die he says, believest thou this? Well, we look out at, natural, at the natural body, and we say, well, men are dying every day. Lord Jesus, did you get that wrong? No, he didn't get it wrong. Because we've been quickened and made alive by the Spirit of God. That's what we're made alive. That's how we overcome the world, because we are living by him. And he overcame the world. So if I'm living by him, I have done what? Overcome the world, right? Christ is my life. So Christ is my life. I'm living by Christ. Now, if I comprehend that, I can put rule and authority down. Or he puts it down through me, however we say this, but we're 
working jointly together because I'm comprehending that of the Lord. And I put rules and principalities, rulers and principalities in their place because I comprehend he's my life. If I don't comprehend he's my life, rulers and principalities may have, so to speak, their way with me. But as I begin to see this and I begin to declare what he's done, See, there's got to be a declaration of what he's done and who he is to you and I that comes out of the church and to the earth. That the church is this glorious church that's filled with light, life, and glory and has come to God's intended purpose. That's what the church is. The church is his body, the fullness of him. That would sound like God's intended purpose if you're the body of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? You're not the body of Adam. You're the body of Jesus Christ. Now we declare that into the earth because we ascend up in him and we speak out of what we see in him into the earth. Yes, we do. I said to someone recently, they were talking about sharing things with somebody, and they said they people are just going something like people are just going to believe what they want to. And I, I said, no. You have the power of God in you to share the truth with them. That'll change their mind. You know, my mind gets changed all the time, and I thank God for it. Because as I see more of the Lord and understand more of the Lord, my mind gets changed, and it gets better. I mean, it's really good right now, but it gets better. That's, that's the beauty of the Lord is is it keeps getting better. And that's why, because we're living in the goodness of God. We're dwelling in the goodness of the Lord. We're dwelling in the favor of the Lord. He has shined his face upon us, and we're dwelling in so much favor that we're being transformed into the very same image that, that Christ himself is to express him one with another into the earth. Now, that's favor of God, folks. That's love of God. That's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And he created us for such a purpose. That the living water, you know, you, you go back in the Garden of Eden, and you see the water running through the garden. Lord, if we get a hold of it, we have living water running through us. We got a better garden than they had. Because the living water of life is running through this garden to bring forth the fruit of God. You know, you go back there and you read about the riches that was in the garden, you know, the gold and and, and the other minerals and so forth, where well, you have all treasures, spiritual treasures, spiritual blessings in Christ. 
So what a garden we've come into. That the very divine life of God is running through us. I feel the Lord, folks. God is in us. Christ is in you. My Lord, what life is flowing here tonight? You've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom, the dominion. God's dear son, I've been so long, I'm going to just quote one little thing. In Romans chapter 5, it, it speaks of sin reigning through death. And I'm probably not saying it exactly right, but it speaks of the reigning of sin and death. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. But now we've received an abundance of life. And it says, and of the gift of the righteousness, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign. That word reign means to be king in life by one, Jesus Christ. So we've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in life by one. Now that's really good news. And I will end it right there. Bless you all. May God bless you.